Good morning, Murray. Guest, welcome to Me After Work podcast. You don't know what you don't know. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Celeste, for having me. I loved our chat the other week, uh, talking just, you know, flowing about stuff and talking. And I love what you do. And thanks for the opportunity to be on the podcast. Well, thank you. I think last time we spoke, I had actioned so many things um, and you gave me really good advice. Stand up desk. I did my Gallup strengths uh, last night. I actually did it before the podcast. So I want to understand a bit better before we spoke about strengths. And um, there was something else. Oh, you gave me some tips on um, Zoom uh, video and, and how to do presentations. So super helpful thank you very much but this today isn't about me it's all about you and i was thinking that we a lot of the theme we talk about playing to your strengths because that is really your area of expertise um and yeah i think it's it's super interesting how you can lead and manage a team and also lead and manage yourself based mm. on an awareness around your strengths so uh, just a bit of background on yourself. You uh, you have your business called Inspire My Business, which um, you coach and facilitate or have been for five years, uh, working correct, with yep. individuals and companies, small, medium, large companies. Is that correct? Like across the board? Yeah, across the board. I seem to find that there's a whole range of different organisations I work with. And it's more about the leader that wants to invest in their people more than an industry or a size of company. So... Um, and I really love partnering with people that do put their people first and do want to invest in them. So, which gives me a chance to work with a whole range of different people. And you know what? They're all people. doesn't matter if the company's big, small, or whatever the industry is. Mm. One guy once said to me when I was like 20, if you're going into an interview, just remember everyone wipes their ass, you know, <laughs> no one's <laughs> any different. So even though you're speaking to a CEO of a massive company, just bring it back. Um, yeah. And prior to that, so you had 15 years in leadership roles. Um, so that kind of explains a bit about where you are now. Um, yeah, and, we'll so, and explains the grey hair as well, let's be honest. Um, so, yeah, so I worked for Master Foods, which is owned by Mars Incorporated for uh, 11 years. And that was a great company to work for. I actually reflect back on my time there often with clients around how well they um, operate and it was funny because I started there in my early 20s as one of my first real jobs after you know McDonald's and mowing lawns and other stuff and I just thought that's how businesses ran you know that's what businesses do you know values and we all called associates not employees oh but wow it's a very, strange company Master Foods uh, so Mars Foods is um, owned by Mars Incorporated which is the Mars family who invented M&Ms yeah and so they have the confectionery, the pet food, and the, um, the, the food business, which I worked in. And uh, Mars family bought Mars Foods, I think it was like 56 or something like that, so a long time ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But yeah, great, great company to work for. And so, yeah, I was there 11 years and a couple of training companies. So we're for two training companies for about five years in total and another five years. Uh, I was the L&D manager for a large aluminium smelter in Newcastle for about 1,200 people. What's so L&D? Uh, learning and development? Learning, learning and development, yeah. Okay, yeah. So yeah. all the training, the inductions, the competencies, the leadership programs, all that stuff. And um, to be honest, when I first started there, it was a bit like going back in time because it's very unionised, very heavy industry, very industrialised and very different to food manufacturing, of course. But... I learned so much and I, yeah, I had a really good time there as well. Yeah, great. So why does someone like you leave, you know, a, a corporate role, um, you're enjoying what you're doing to then move into start your own business and work across different companies in coaching, which like is still relatively um, at an infancy stage, I believe, in Australia. Yeah, I, it's funny. I still have some clients and there's that association with the word coaching of I've done something wrong. You know, I'm being sent to the principal's office to get coached or, you know, I've got to go do laps around the field because I stuffed up and the coach is doing that to me. All that sort of thing comes up. And you're right. I think there's still a, not a full understanding about what coaching is. And um, I'm 
lucky in my time at Masterfoods, I did some high performance coaching programs and there was skills to learn how to be a coach as a leader and about how you ask questions and help people unlock their potential and to achieve their goals. So I, I, I see coaching something very important and I look back on my time of how I didn't have a coach and I also think leadership can be quite lonely at times, no matter what level you are in the business, it can sometimes feel like you're doing it all yourself. And a coach is there in a whole range of reasons to support you, to help you grow and to also sometimes be your accountability person or your cheerleader, whatever it might be. So yes, I think we've got a long way to go for people to think coaching is a good thing. Cause I've even, um, had people like, Shh, don't tell anyone I've got a coach. Right I know. Now. I was like that when I first had a coach, I was like, <laughs> Oh shit. I, I had to, it was hard to say it loud, even though I was getting so much benefit. So I think that's actually part of the journey. Oh, releasing ego around yeah, getting a coach, which is quite enlightening. And, and I've got that. my own coach. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I had to get over my own stuff to get a coach and, and it's been fantastic. And they hold a mirror up to you sometimes that you probably don't. I had a chat actually to someone yesterday and they are interviewing someone new, uh, someone in their team has left and they're, they're employing somebody and they want to talk about some questions and just how to do things a little bit differently. So just to bounce that around and coach them through that. And he, he got to this point and he said, you know what? You're reminding me of stuff I'd forgotten about. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he said, thank you. It was really good taking down some notes. And so I wasn't making him wrong. He didn't feel wrong, but it was just that space where, Oh, that's right. This is, you know, I want to make sure I ask this type of question or I want to make sure that we dive deep on this area or I want to make sure that we talk a bit more about the values. So it wasn't a bad thing. It was a, just a, a reminder, which he may not have got if he had the conversation with somebody else. So um, maybe explain to someone that doesn't know anything about coaching and there's this maybe a bit of fear or uh, embarrassment or, you know, uh, angst around even considering a coach. What would, like, how do you explain why you would get coaching. I know you, you kind of briefly touched over, but to someone who has no idea. Yeah. So I, I would ask people, depending on the person, you know, there's different things that we can draw on here. And I think one of the things is reflecting on your past. If you've got some sort of coach type person that you've had in your past, so let's say you're a teenager going playing netball, soccer, basketball, hockey, whatever, um, anything with a ball, basically. <laughs> Um, if you're doing sport or gymnastics and all those sports have a coach and what are those coaches there to do to help you improve and to do what you're doing better and to improve on your skills and your talents. So quite often people, when they are reminded of those experiences, what was the intent and the approach of those coaches, you know, the good ones, not the ones that, you know, uh, on you like a ton of bricks, but, then something about, okay, so what was that relationship like? What was the intent of those coaches like? Okay, so then if we can start to get some emotional um, template and reference to that, I think that's good. Then the other thing is at a heart, a coach is there to help someone unlock their potential. And it's not about mentoring. So mentoring is, is about I'm an expert or a knowledgeable person in a field and passing that on to you. Whereas a coach can really coach anyone in any space because it's helping them bring to the surface something maybe they weren't aware of or they were unsure of and to explore it and unlock their potential in that area through questions and um, other strategies to just really bring things out. Yeah. And coaches exist around health, fitness, leadership, you know, couples, relationships, a whole range of things. And one of the biggest things is building that trust. So all good coaches uh, should be setting up those agreements at the start and how they're going to work together, working with that trust and that confidentiality, but how we're going to work together so that that person that you're opening up to is going to be having your best interests at heart. And you know, you can trust them. Mm. What's the difference between someone not trusting and someone trusting in a coaching, like for what they get out of it? Uh, so over the years, I've had a number of my corporate clients that have said, you know, we've got a group of leaders, we want to invest in, we want to provide them opportunity to coach. 
And we'll come back to your question earlier about starting your business. And, and um, at times I've said yes to just about everything early on because I've still got to put food on the table and all that's pay the bills. And some of those people that I think over the years that I've coached, um, there wasn't the connection. There wasn't that energetic, you know, um, bond that we formed. And without that, there wasn't the trust. And without the trust, there wasn't the openness. There wasn't the vulnerability. We weren't able to explore topics. We weren't able to actually dive deep about something maybe that's holding them back. And quite often it might be something that someone said to them many years ago, a manager or a, a partner or you know, something at school, whoever knows. But that is still part of their way of being that's holding them back in achieving their goals and overcoming a challenge now. And those things won't come out in a coaching partnership if there isn't the trust. So in that situation, you as a coach, do you think it's, um, it's a result of your connection with that person or that they're not ready or both? Uh, I think it could be either. Totally, Celeste, I think it could be either that, that there isn't a connection being formed with that person or that that person's not ready or there's some other stuff going on that's holding them back. Um, it could be that that frame they have around what coaching is and so they don't want to show up as well. Um, it could also be how that partnership has formed. So one thing I've, I've certainly improved on over my years of coaching is being really clear up front with the people I work with about how we're going to work together. How do you want to work with me? What do you want from me? So setting up those agreements. And I think in the early days, sometimes I was so keen to get in there and do stuff and we'd be into the second session. I'd feel like it's just a bit icky. Like we didn't set that up and I'd go, eh. yeah. And, and I own my part of that. I didn't set that up. Yeah. Okay. So, so there could be a whole range of reasons in there. Yeah. Um, okay. Inspire my business and, and talk about how you use strengths as a big part of how you work with your, you know, your clients and businesses. Yeah, um, so you've heard of TGIF? No. Thank God it's Friday. Oh, I, I was thinking of the, the, the place <laughs> in America, the oh, TG yes. Fridays. <laughs> well, there's one of those out, out near Macquarie Uni. Actually. Yeah, there is at the, the shops, yeah. Yeah, I've been there a couple of times a while back. But, yeah, TGIF is that old thank God it's Friday. And to me, I think about all the people that live like that. And I'm, I've felt like that a couple of times. I'm, I assume you have, where it's like, oh, that week's over, you know, time to hit the weekend, Friday night, whatever it might be. But I don't think that's a way we want to live our life. Like we're wishing away five out of seven days a week. Mm. So what does it look like to be TGIM? Thank God it's Monday. I've said that in some workshops and people look at me like I've got two heads and like, what's this crap, you know? No, I said TGIM can actually happen, that you are so glad to go to work and do what you do that you love, that you're passionate about, work with the people that you care about and that you have a team culture that inspires you, that you feel connected with. So through Inspire My Business, I help people understand what their strengths are through the Clifton Strengths Assessment. Uh, I've worked now with about 2,000 people in teams and one-on-one -on -one knowing their strengths and the aim is through people knowing their strengths, what's the best way for them in their personal way that they love to approach their work in a way that fills them up, that lifts them up to be at their best. Because our strengths, our, our dominant strengths and talents are asked without even trying, without even thinking about it. And if we have cultures where people get to do the work that they do that aligns with their strengths and approach their work through their strengths, uh, what I've experienced and what the research at Gallup shows is people are happier, they're healthier, they're more engaged in their work, they're more creative. Um, there's all the, the qualitative measures like that. And plus then there's all the quantitative measures where there's better improvements around uh, profitability and um, productivity and how our customer metrics change as well. So there's the individual understanding of strengths and then there's, well, if I know my strengths and I know yours, I know that the way you approach a, a job or a task is going, or a relationship is going to be different and that difference is good. I'm not going to make you wrong. So that's another key part. It's about making each other right, not making each other wrong. And then 
the other part is we know ourselves, we know each other, but also how leaders know our teams. So how a leader may then um, delegate, coach, um, give someone feedback, the constructive and also the positive through strengths is going to be a much more um, engaging and inspiring culture. So the, the tool that you use, I think it spits out five strengths. Um, I don't know what, how many strengths there are in that database, but so you would know all the combinations, like, cause there would be so many yeah. combinations. So the, how does a manager or leader, if you've got a team of 50, like you're running the business and then you're trying to work out the psychology and the personality and the strengths of everyone. How do you manage that? So in the Clifton Strengths Framework, there's 34 themes of talent that Don Clifton uh, identified through five decades of research. So this is not my tool. It's a tool I'm accredited in, which um, I'm very passionate about. You should see my strengths, Teddy. It's awesome. Joke, everyone. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It didn't say sense of humour on your strengths list. No, no. (laughs) Trust me, my dad jokes don't. I was thinking dad jokes before (laughs) you said that. Okay. So... There's two reports you can get. The first report, which I'd start with most people, is your top five. And then you can also dive deeper and get your full 34 report, which gives you the full order all the way through to 34. But we start with our top five because they're the most dominant. Now, you ask a question about how do leaders and teams know all that, remember that. If you think about a leader's role is knowing their people, this is a tool to help them know their people. Yeah. It's not a tool for them to um, to actually recruit people because it's not a recruitment tool. It's a tool to help you know each other and know that about each other and how they work and how they might approach situations and tasks and projects and a whole range of things. So what's important with any assessment tool just like this one, it's not a tick in the box. We don't just do it, tick the box, see you later. It's about the ongoing conversations. It's about some supporting material. It's about how it's integrated into some of the systems like um, performance reviews and project management and things like that. If we treat it like a, a tick in the box, yes, you'll get some benefit, but you won't get the real benefit when it's part of the, the ongoing ways of working as a leader and as a team. So that's what I love. Uh, uh, you know, from my past of being a leader, I know what it's like when something feels like, oh, we're just doing it because we've been told, tick the box, move on doesn't stick and people feel like it's a waste of time mm-hmm. so, so what i really love is okay let's ha- how do we use this ongoing so i've got a client right now so we're in COVID 19 right now and there's obviously no face-to-face workshops but with the client we're meeting every fortnight for two hours and we are discussing how our strengths are helping us deal with change uh, deal with our tasks how we're actually leveraging the strengths of each other so it's an ongoing conversation. Um, out of, you know, in the last five years, out of the businesses that you've worked with, what percentage, when you go in, so before you've done any work, do you think are managing versus leading? So I think, unfortunately, the majority of leaders I've worked with over the years, I'll say, think about the leaders as opposed to the organisation, the leaders are still thinking that their role is about the technical expertise that they bring to the role. So whether they used to be in sales or manufacturing or in training, or I've worked with construction and power companies, so engineers, a whole range. But unfortunately, so many of them still have this mindset or approach or even a subconscious way of showing up that they think the majority of the work that they need to do day in day as about that technical expertise as a, mm. which is, you know, so managing has a, as a role, but that's what I see happening where versus the, the role you have as a leader in creating a space for people to be at the best, to develop them, to help them show up, to help them improve, to help them grow. And there's a whole range of reasons for that. And I think one of them is leaders haven't been given the clarity and what's expected of them in their role. And also the tools, so how to do that, but also a bit of the letting go, um, because when we are a hero, 
you know, put on our cape, we can run in and save the day with our technical expertise because I know how we used to do it. That that obviously fills our, our body and our, uh, with our emotions and the good hormones get released and we, we hey, we're the, the hero. It's about breaking some of that cycle. So, so let's not say, unfortunately, a lot are still in that. And I actually take people through a process and say, okay, what percentage of your time are you investing in different areas? Now let's actually look at what your role needs right now and where's the difference and how could you change that and i often say look i don't know what you do i don't know what's really needed i just want to bring to your awareness how conscious are you of where you're investing your time because the more we do that the more we're going to be more effective and you know what in their defense you've got 20 years of building up you know your your technical expertise and and managing and projects and then you move into a leadership role and it's a 180 really like all of a sudden, it's not about what you can do. It's how you can help other people do their job and, and, and create this team and this culture. And where is all that training? Like, you know, it, it yep. takes yep. time, doesn't it? It's, a, it's, it's not a walk in the park. No, no. And, and it's, it's honestly, one of the hard, honestly one of the hardest jobs to, to shift from I'm working with my mates to I'm now leading my mates got to hold them accountable. I've got to empower them. I've got to give them feedback and it can be bloody hard. And I know I stuffed it up many times and I share with people I've learned from my mistakes where um, I used to be really good at Excel. Tick that box. <laughs> I, I would have people on my team that have to do a monthly report and they were just shit at Excel. And, and I would run in and be like, Da-da, Excel superhero comes in and fix all the formulas, produce a report and then leave. And I'd end up doing that every month. And I'd go, well, what am I doing? Like it's, where's the training? Where's, and that's just such a simple one, but that's just a perfect example of how am I actually helping them? And is the manager's role in doing Excel formulas the best thing? No, it's not. It also changes your expectations of other leaders as well, because mm. then you understand, you know, that, it's it's not as glamorous as you think outside looking in. Yeah. Um, it's actually quite challenging as a role and, and a good leader is, you know, appears selfless to yeah. some extent. You, you shouldn't be selfless, but appears selfless. Yeah, I, well, and I think that the the perspective or the perception of what you think leadership is going to be and then when you actually get the chance to do it can be quite different. And that's where the loneliness, I think, can come in, where I thought it was going to be a walk in the park. I just, you know, turn up and everyone does their job and I do my bit. Actually, no, we're dealing with people. If you want to go to the bookshop and look at the section for books on, there's still bookshops, I think, Celeste, there's a few around. Yeah. And you find the bookshop in the section of trying to understand people, there's thousands of books because we are bloody hard creatures to understand sometimes. Oh, and so as a leader, you're wearing multiple hats of you know sometimes you know leader manager coach uh teacher parent counselor counselor counselor. yeah so it's about knowing what's expected of you and to be honest sometimes it's about saying what you say no to as well so um for example i think the more leaders can have that clarity about when they can defer you know for example if they're leading someone that needs some support where it's actually go and see AAP, you're not their counsellor, but it's about being empowered to actually direct them the best way for that, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, Can I just say too, I think one of the critical things too is that network of leaders in a business is really important. So quite often I think leaders could improve that relationship with their peers, whether that's in this one company or across different companies, but that relationship and that trust and that network to support each other, to talk about things, to talk about how you're approaching situations and learning from each other. Because when you've got people on that same level within the business, in the structure, sharing, connecting, learning from each other, I think there's a real value in um, developing each other and learning from each other. What stops us from doing that? Like what's the, the barrier that we don't do that more? Oh, I'm sure there's a fair bit of fear in there that, or what if I seem like I, I don't know what I'm doing or there's fear that, you know, I look like I'm 
um, not as good as I thought I was. So there's a bit of that. So we need to build some trust. I also think there's the busyness cycle that we're just, you know, getting into sometimes, uh, actually probably more often than we should be, that busyness cycle and and people and leaders aren't making the time for that. And, they, and I'd say because they don't see the value because they haven't done it before. So mm. once they start to do it, they see the value and then they make it a priority. Mm. So I think it's a combination of some fear and the busyness and even sometimes some damaged relationships. I've seen people say, well, I don't want to talk to that person about this because in the past I've talked to other people about this type of stuff and it's bit me on the ass and so I don't want to open up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's a, you know, there's a bit there to work through sometimes to move people forward. It's massive, isn't it? Mm. Um, uh, 2,000 people I've got down here that you've unlocked their strengths. What is the difference between, like, well, what's the before and after have you seen in, in individuals, let's just say, not, not so much businesses? Yeah, and so I, I'm, I would be really open in saying I've seen some really impactful things happen to people and others um, not as much, and that's just <clears throat> the spectrum of people that I've had that I've worked with. The ones that I'm proud to say the most that I've seen um, have a significant change, it's around a renewed sense of who they are and a, a sense of self-confidence and an understanding about the way they do things and the why they do things and the why of other people and how that difference sometimes can be triggering, but also an understanding of, oh, that's how they do it. Now understand the amount of people I've, you know, help them understand their strengths. And then they say, oh, can my partner do this? Because I can see now why, you know, Jack does this or why, you know, whoever else, you know, does, does something. So then there's this, uh, sometimes even I'd say Celeste, a, re a relief. Oh, mm. oh, okay. I can see now why I am the way I am and it's okay and it's good and I've got this confidence about myself. Like a self-acceptance. Yeah, I, a quick story. I was working with a team a little while ago and this lady did her strengths assessment in the workshop. She found out that, that she had positivity in her top five and she came up to me in the break of this workshop and she had tears in her eyes and she said, Murray, I had a manager say to me once a few years back, why are you always so happy? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. You know, fantastic leadership right there. <laughs> and she came up to me and she said, I always thought that there's something wrong with me because I looked up to this leader and, and so far I've been showing up at work day in, day out, trying not to be so positive about things. Uh -huh. And I've been showing up in a way which isn't myself. And I now realize that my positivity isn't a bad thing. Yeah, I might have a plate and it turns into a weakness, but I can see now that's who I am and who I am is a good thing. So it was like, that's just. So in that example, she's got positivity happening and she's got a manager or even a colleague that doesn't have that in their top five. How does she um, kind of stay true to herself without at the same time with, without losing or losing a connection with someone else because it might create a distance or a gap, which obviously came through with her boss at the time. Yeah. So I had someone recently explain this to me, which I really enjoyed. And it's the top five strengths are a bit like they tell me the suburb of where you live, mm. but they don't tell me your street, your house number and what's inside your house. Like it's just the start. Ah, uh, yeah. And I love that analogy because it's a way of saying there are strengths, our top five aren't a label. So this person isn't positivity blank. She's always positive. No, it's actually, uh, it's a, an approach. It's a way of being that she's going to show up in lots of different ways. I want to understand that more. I want to explore that. I want to see how that helps her or hinders her in different ways. So again, I go back to what I said earlier. It's, it's really the start of a process that really needs to be put into conversations and the way people talk, because I, if we just use it like a pigeonholing type exercise or labeling exercise, 
um, it, it's just going to be, it's going to be honestly, or possibly doing a bit more damage because we're not actually embracing the uniqueness of each, of each person. So I think there's an element of letting it come out in the open and exploring that and having the conversations. And the other part would be explaining intent. So if my positivity is coming out, I want to explain that. So it actually gives people some words and phrases and a way to talk about themselves more comfortably with each other and for that person to see. Um, so Celeste, you watched any cowboy movies? Oh, not for a while, but... <laughs> no, me neither. But um, if you imagine two cowboys going from town to town, say you and me are riding our horses. And you might have heard this sort of analogy before. So where I'm riding my horse from, I don't know, some town in the Midwest to the next one, and then you, you ride up next to me. And what will happen is your horse will sort of slide into the same rhythm of my horse. And we'll ride along together. We'll talk about... I don't know, gold or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But our horses will what's called a match and pace. So they match and then pace. So whatever the trot, the canter or whatever we are, we're doing. So that matching and pacing is something we need to do with each other. So I want to match and pace with you, Mm. match your style and pace with that. So it's about, I'm not right and you're wrong but I'm right and you're, we're, we're both right. And how does, how do we match and pace and work together more effectively? Yeah, that's, that's a good story. Match and pace. I can see you with a hat on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm cantering, maybe trotting or something a bit slower. Um, our our um, podcast theme is you don't know what you don't know until you know pretty much. So my question to you is, before you started this coaching or, you know, in the last five years, before that, what, what, before and after, what has been some of the biggest changes that you've had in yourself? So realizations that you're like, Oh, I didn't know that at all. And it's just opened up my viewpoint massively. I'm going to steal that question. Thank you. I love it. And I love your podcast. So I would say a couple of things. One is, I've known for a while the importance of our attitude or our mindset, but how important that is to me for how I show up, how I am successful or not successful in business and just all relationships that just keeps on being reminded. And I just, you know, had forgotten it. So just that internal dialogue, what I think, what I feel, Um, So I'd say that's one thing, certainly. So how important our mindset is. The other one would be off that is our money mindset. So in the last five years, I've explored some of my relationships with money around, um, you know, potentially things that my parents said to me when I was younger and now how that impacts how I I show up for clients or how I don't show up for clients and then letting some of that stuff go and how important that is. I was unaware of that. The power of manifestation. So from a business sense, if you imagine in previous roles that I've talked through, it's, you know, let's have the plan, let's have the structure, let's have the spreadsheet, let's have the presentation. Uh, very much that, that way of being. But now if I tap into also, what if I visualize? What if I manifest? What if I um, take some time out to, um, to journal some things? If I think about a client, if I, you know, manifest working with that client and take action, you know, it, it happens. And that power of that manifestation process and um, that's something which uh, I am totally, totally loving and embracing. Um, when did you talk, when, when did this change happen to starting to consider manifestation because it's not, not everyone's talk talks a lot about manifestation, <laughs> not in a business anyway. No, I, I, so I, you I watch something or I've been to a number of conferences and done a range of courses over my time, uh, my learning, which I really appreciate, which, so I think lots of little bits have reminded me, you taught me those important to that. I, I even think about 
if I do watch sport and someone's got to kick the goal, they've got to, you know, take the shot and that, that sports person will pause, breathe, focus, go through that visualize, visualization process to then execute. And they're doing, and sports people do that in their preparation and during the game <clears throat> or the event. So I would then say, we, we see that happening. And, and for myself, I think I was thinking about that and the other insights I got from some of the training I've been to and, and conferences. And a few years ago, I thought about all of the clients, the relationships I had with clients and who I wanted to work with and what type of work I could possibly do and where there's a values alignment. And I wrote it all down on this piece of paper. And there was a list of, of potential clients and I lost that piece of paper and I found it when I was tied at my office about it, you know, nine months later, 10 months later, and all the ones that I identified as the ones I most wanted to work with, with the values alignment and I could take action on, I'd ended up working with over that period of time. And so then I went, okay, so that works. So I did it again and again, and it's worked each time. So then I've then taken it further and thought more consciously about how am I putting out to honestly the universe and everything else around me, who do I want to work with and why do I want to work with them and balancing that manifesting and visualization with taking action at the same time. Has your thoughts changed since you started thinking about manifestation? Because if when you're kind of in that space, you know, everything's creating energy. Yeah. So have you thought differently about your thoughts? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I'm definitely more aware of the thoughts and are those thoughts actually helping me and are they putting out the energy I really want to put out? Um, it's like, uh, you know, I think about if you were in your early 20s and going to the pub or the club to meet somebody and you're giving off some desperate vibe I'll tell you, you're not going to to do much. You're not going to be very lucky. Yeah. 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 And I think in business and just in life, we can have that same, you know, I need someone to fulfill me. I need someone to complete me. I need something to, to be in my life. And there's this desperation energy, which honestly is a form of some fear and negativity. If we're doing that in business um, and in any sort of, those, of interaction we're having, people can tell. Mm, yeah so and i think there's a big difference between being comfortable and confident in who you are and arrogant so certainly that i I, that's something i'm very mindful of and i think staying humble is extremely important and very important to me that i don't want to ever be perceived like that so i think that there's a value in having that ongoing investment in well how are you showing up and what's the energy you're putting out like you said before Mm. That's great. Um, what about in the last couple of months? Back to the question of you don't know what you don't know. You know, this is a really new experience for everyone the last, you know, six weeks, two months. What's changed within you? Um, so I think, to be honest. Or, it, sorry, change or something that you're now aware of. I just want to give you a... Honestly, um, I'm an open book, so I appreciate and I'm uh, both those, the way you framed up the question. So what I'm probably more aware of is even though, and I'm sure people that run their own business can relate to this, even though I run my own business, I can slip into being an employee to myself at times of just, yes, I love what I do, but sometimes I can feel like I am back on the the corporate hamster wheel in a way, like I'm back in that sort of cycle. And I think I slipped back into that a little bit. And when things have dramatically changed in my life, like so many people's lives, I've actually got a renewed perspective on what's important, uh, renewed gratitude for what I do have and a new appreciation for my family and friends and those clients I work with, which I think I lost a little bit. So that's that's real benefit that's that's certainly come out of it. And I'd say that the Churchill quote that I've been hearing a lot, which is don't let a crisis go to waste, I keep on coming back to because I think about how 
um, how I've, I have pivoted. I am providing online workshops to teams. I am doing more online coaching where for the last four and a half, five years, oh, I have five years, sorry, I haven't been doing that. And if you said to me, why don't you do that? So I don't have time. I'm too busy running these workshops. Whereas I've been able to do that through um, investing some learning in different tools and, and changing my approach. So, yeah, I think what I've learned is, is how I can adapt through the crisis. Um, but also I feel more gratitude for what I do have at the same time. Mm. I read one of your blogs that said that your uh, word of the year is every day. I absolutely loved that. <laughs> I think because we're both earth signs, but before, like in the intro part of your article, you spoke about you've had other words, flow and impact, and I can relate 100% to this. I felt like I wrote the article when I was reading it, but I never got to the, the idea of having every day. And it was so grounding and, and, and it makes you so present in that moment. Um, to, like just talk, talk us through why you would even have a word of the, of, of the year. Like, yeah, I, and, and maybe you can help me. I can't remember where I first heard it, to be honest. So a few people I know were doing it and I heard about it happening. I went to a workshop once and they said, what's your word? I was like, oh, shit, mountain? I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I like mountains. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I've got, um, it may have been Sam Cawthorn who runs the Speakers Institute in Sydney. may have been him. I can't remember. Shout out to Sam for it, was you? But I heard about it a few years ago. And I think about companies have values, you know, the, the four or five, three, four, five values they have as underpinning their way of being and their culture. Some companies do that really well, that bring them to life. Others, it's wallpaper. So I think the idea of having a word for the year is a way to what's a, a something that's going to underpin your values, your way of being, your, your goals and help you stay grounded for the, the next year. And I think coming up with a word is great, but you've actually got to live it, breathe it, it's got to be practical. So I am really conscious of, you know, coming up with a word that's going to help me. So I had um, courage a couple of years back as my word, and then I felt like the, the universe threw everything at me to test my courage. So that was great. So that wasn't the best word. Uh, 2018, my word was impact. And um, whether this is going too far for some, but this is what happened. I actually broke my neck mountain biking New Zealand. And so the impact of that year was headbutting a tree at 30 kilometers an hour and being in hospital and there's your impact. So I was making an impact, but maybe not the way I wanted. So coming up with the word for this year, I thought, what is it that's going to help me achieve what I want this year and be the best I can be? And I went around a few words and I thought, it's actually just about how I show up every day. Every day do I think about, have I drank enough water? Have I drank too much coffee so I need to drink less coffee? Have I moved my body? Have I stretched? Have I um, done something to serve my current clients, attract new clients, connect with previous clients? Have I connected with friends and family? So it's just that word every day just stuck with me. And I have it written on my bedroom or bathroom mirror with a with chalk every day. So I see it every day and thought, okay, every day. So it's not like I'll get to something tomorrow or I'll get to something whenever. It's like, am I thinking about what's important to me and how I'm showing up every day? And honestly, it does help me a lot. I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, thanks for that. I'm, I'm going to take that. Um, can your strengths change? So what um, the work of Don Clifton, who invented the Clifton Strengths Finder, um, what he identified was there's what's called a 0.7 retest validity, which means in that dominant group of your strengths, 70% are going to stay the same. So people that I know that have done the strengths assessment multiple times, they've had a bit of juggling, a bit of resorting us on those top ones, but 70% have stayed the same. So like seven out of your top 10 would stay the same. The difference would be if you've been through a major life change. So for example, my empathy in the strength framework is quite low. 
I reckon my empathy is even lower now after breaking my neck, but my deliberative, which is about deliberate decision-making, weighing up risks has come up a bit. So I haven't re redone the test because um, I guess I'm aware of how my strengths show up, but I can see that I'm more cautious in, you know, some things that I do now. Mm. The questions in the, the, the tool are so definitively like some are, it's an interesting, even not even just for the results, but actually how you respond to those questions and if you can relate to them, like it creates an awareness in itself. It does. There's, there was some research that Marcus Buckingham released at which, because um, Marcus Buckingham used to be part of Gallup, um, his research identified people just actually knowing their strengths, they, their um, productivity jumps up quite a bit. It was like 8%, 9%, just by even knowing your strengths, just by doing that assessment, without even having a coach, without even unpacking it and exploring it. So that, like you're saying, there's this self-awareness you get about who you are and how mm. you show up, which just helps you straight away. And so you've got, if you focus on your strengths, how much, if you're looking at, you know, working on a scale of 100%, how much time should you be focusing on what you're not great at, your weaknesses? So I um, have learned. Yeah, well, that's a good question. I have learned over the last, um, you know, I'd say eight years now about how weaknesses are, aren't just things that we're not good at, but weaknesses are also our strengths when we overplay them. So, for example, my uh, number three is communication. I'm happy to talk. Love having this conversation with you. I love talking through ideas. But also at school, I couldn't shut up and got in a lot of trouble. And I remember <laughs> early on in my career, I'd be in meetings where we're having a really important conversation and I would just speak and um, I'd realise it didn't add any value, but I would just had to speak. So there's a, you know, our, our strengths can be a greatest weakness. So I guess it's the awareness of more, not so much about our investing time in our strengths or weaknesses, but more consciously thinking about, is this the best way for me to show up in this moment right now? Yeah. Do you think uh, most of us or all of us have the awareness and everything inside, but we just don't look at it? Um, and that's a sloppy question, but... No, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bottle of red wine question. That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, it's a bit like... I, I remember, so um, I think it was my, my youngest child. Well, I, don't, I can't remember. It might have been my middle child. I should know this. But I remember when they were quite young and we were talking and I said, oh, you know that voice in your head? And he's like, yeah. I said, you know, everyone's got that. And he's like, oh, Really? <laughs> that was so funny. And I think it's a, that awareness that we, that we all have this, you know, that internal dialogue happening, but we all, each don't know what the internal dialogue of the other person is. So I actually don't know, Celeste. I don't know if we're all uh, aware or what that internal dialogue is, that mind saying versus what you're saying or another, you know, millions of people. Um, and in my experience, there's a range where some people just aren't aware at all and some that have an awareness and they don't acknowledge it and some that are aware of something and they're on a journey and there's, so there's a whole, I'd say it's a spectrum, but I don't think it's a switch there. Very captivating, isn't it? Um, what do you think are the strengths of a good leader? Ooh. Um, so... I think, so I love Brene Brown and I love her work about vulnerability. So I actually think vulnerability and openness is one of the most important elements of a leader. And maybe that's because I, I also think that we need to be open as people and it helps us connect and build trust. But I think that's one of the most important things. Um, and to build off that, it creates a culture of, psychological safety where others feel like they can be open and vulnerable and be themselves 
It also builds that, that trust. It also builds um, engagement um, and also builds opportunities for people to, to explore, to, um, to create, to trial and to make mistakes and feel okay with that and to learn from that. Um, so honestly, I think if we start there, that's, that's going to lead to a long way of to, you know, foundations of good leadership. How long do you think if you've got the stereotypical alpha leader manager, how long do you think it takes to actually crack the vulnerability? Because it's uh, bloody hard, you know, uh, yeah. and it's so scary and you don't even know what the outcome's going to be. Like, you're kind of betting on it, you know. So there's, it's a big step. Yeah. I think there's a lots of different parameters to consider with that. Um, there's all the past, so all the past experiences and past ways of showing up and past emotional templates around those experiences, which are building up a level of armor, um, a way of being, and those experiences aren't just um, within the working context, but you know, family, school, and a whole range of other experiences. So there's all of that that we need to consider. Then there's the actual environment right now. So for you know, that stereotypical leader, What's their life like right now? Mm. Um, I remember running a workshop a few years ago and it was a two-day leadership workshop for a large company in Sydney. And at the end of the workshop, this guy was actually at times to be polite, a bit of a pain in the ass. And it was like, is, is he going to get this? And at some times when you've got a group, you just, well, I hope they, there's, there's something that, that they get. And at the end of the workshop, he came up to me and he said, hey, Maza, that was a good workshop. Got a lot more out of it than I thought. You know what? I actually might treat my wife a bit better so I don't have to sleep on the couch every night. Thanks. See ya. <laughs> and I thought if he, out of these two days, is going to be nicer to his wife and then he's not sleeping on the couch every night, he's not tired, he's getting a good night's sleep, he's got a better, better relationship at home and he turns up in a way that is then better at work, has a ripple effect, I've done my job, that's good. So I think, yeah, to crack, you know, what you're talking about, there's just so much going on in people's lives we just don't know. And yeah. um, so I, I think that that is something that's so important. And you know what? You can't manipulate it because people, people can read the energy. I mean, you gave a great example before. Like people know when you're bullshitting. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. We've got strong BSDs. Yeah. 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 Um, in one of your blogs, you wrote about doing less and being more effective. How do you do that as a leader? <laughs> I wish I'd known. I you wish I'd known. All you don't turn do. up one day a week. <laughs> let, let the company run itself. <laughs> So how do you do that? Actually, you know what? The first thing you need to do is actually um, pause, need to stop. Yeah. you got the perfect answers. Sorry. <laughs> I, I love just, them. <laughs> Trust me, I've made the mistakes, Celeste. I've made mistakes. I think people need to stop. It's about that oh, I've got to get into work and go, 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 and then go, 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 go. I remember I was having my lunch at my desk one day whilst doing a report. And I'm shoveling food in my mouth. I, you know, take uh, leftovers from night before or something. And I just chunked into the inside of my mouth. You know, when you bite the inside of your mouth and I've just got mouth, a uh, mouth full of blood. And I was like, and that throbbing feeling. And that was my wake up call of, or one of them, one of many of what am I doing right now? I'm just go, go, go trying to get everything done. Not at stopping, look after myself, not having, uh, a break with my team to connect with them over having lunch, whatever it might be. But for leaders to actually stop the go, go, go and pause and actually ask themselves, what's the best use of my time right now? Where can I have the most value versus trying to do everything? And even if that feels like you can't do that, still do it. 
And then actually, if you feel like I can't change that, then it's a conversation you need to have with your leader about how do we change this? Because do you want to get to the end of your career feeling like I got all this stuff done and I had no relationships and look after myself, my health, my well-being, and everything else? I'd say, no, that's not what we want to be. We don't actually want to get there and achieve, but also in a way that we are connecting with others and looking after ourselves in the same way. Do you think some people shouldn't be leaders? Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> How do you manage that when someone is the boss and they've hired you and you don't think that they should be in charge or lead, I should say? Yeah, that's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I don't have all the answers for that one, but um, I think some people get promoted based on that technical expertise and to have the skills and talents and the mindset of a leader. Um, not everybody has. And um, I'm actually working with a client at the moment. I can say it's fantastic. Someone has been promoted in some time to be a leader and there's that realisation that this person's more a technical expert and they're now having the conversation about if we shifted you to be the technical expert that's um, working on this process and everyone comes to you for the information and you're driving projects versus leading people and I think that's fantastic because it's not often that happens it's like you're in this position and that's mm. it you're, you've gone down the people leadership path um, I think I would love well, I'd love for the chance for everyone to to be able to openly and honestly have that conversation with their leader, with HR, whoever it might be, to actually say, how can I add the most value and bring what I bring the most to the work that I do? Because it might not be having leadership conversations. It actually might be um, something else. Mm. Do you think we've got the career paths, like even myself, if I look back, oh, I had a clear career path, marketing assistant, marketing coordinator, marketing assistant, assistant brand manager, brand manager, marketing manager, marketing director, really clear. But I never once considered really my strengths or, you know, is that the right path for my strengths? Mm. Um, so we've got a linear. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I... I I think that there's some organisations that do it very well in providing opportunities based on people's strengths and passions and that even um, where they want to invest their, their development in. Um, so it could be more of a, a diagonal path than a straight linear path. But, yeah, I don't think it's that common, to be honest. I think it is, is very linear. Um, I, I started in manufacturing at Master Foods. So I was in manufacturing for two years and there was an opportunity to move into quality assurance and I moved across there and then I was in the QA path and then went into people development and then into that learning and development space. So I think there's something around leaders um, being what we call talent scouts and being the scout that finds the talent in their team and then provides opportunity for them to use that. Mm. and great leaders do that really well and great leaders with that ego that say hang on I've got Celeste in my team and she's fantastic but also know that she really wants to head down this path I'm going to support her in that yeah yeah do you like you know it's it could be uh viewed for a business when you bring in a coach that it's going to change a lot of things in the business you know even to the extent that people realize that working in that business isn't for them. How do you man like kind of manage that? Because the uncertainty, like of bringing someone in like a coach, yeah, it can strengthen, but at the same time, it's a lot of change can happen. And, 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 and you, you might lose some great talent as a result. Yeah. I, I think over the years I've done that well sometimes. And again, um, could have done it better. And again, it's about being clear about the coaching partnership up front and what those outcomes are and being aligned with whoever's engaged me to do that work. And I have coached leaders over the years where they've had that realisation about, I actually want to head down a different path. Or I'm not fully um, passionate about what I'm doing now from where I used, what I used to do. So 
and they've then made that choice to, to move on or do something else. Um, I think the key with any of those partnerships, whether you're a consultant, a coach, a facilitator, when you're working with a company, it's actually getting all that out up front is really important and talking through that. And if there's some red lights that they get discussed and sorted out uh, and they get agreed upon, uh, there is a, a coaching confidentiality in that contract that you have when you're coaching a leader or coaching anybody, and that needs to be maintained as well. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so I think that's really important. Mm. Um, I've got two questions left. On your uh, about page, you said that or your certifications or qualifications, your 2020 Lego Serious Play yeah. certification. Yes. What is that? Because I am loving <laughs> Lego Masters at the moment. <laughs> so I, I heard about Lego Serious Play somewhere in the last couple of years and uh, I've got three children and we've been playing with Lego for, geez, must be like 15, 16 years on and off. The Lego company invented Lego Serious Play, I should know, I think it was about like 10 years ago. And it's a way to use Lego with individuals and teams to communicate better and collaborate better and you get beyond the the pieces mean something it's about the pieces actually meaning something in the the actual build so the process is let's put a question to the group now build that out of pieces and now communicate what you've built and then you might actually have individual builds or what we call shared models where they come together so quick example, I used it with a team where um, I want you to build now how you think this project is going, this specific project. So 10 people on the team build it. Then each person talked about that. Then I said, now I want you to bring all those individual models together to build what we call the shared model, all hands on, all people ranging from the ages of you know late 20s through to late 50s. And in that shared model, they let go of something and then they acknowledge of each other to build this shared model, which we then discuss. And we then had a 3D model representing how we feel and think about how the project's going. Oh, I love it. And that was just the start of the process. And I, it was a three, I absolutely love the course, three-day course. And it's also got the benefits of play. So you're using your hands at uh, kinesthetic learning and connecting and it actually even creates a space for people to talk about how they're feeling much more openly because I'm talking about the object I've created, not about me. And just to wrap it up, there's another statement that comes with Lego Serious Play, which is with Lego, we build the outside world like we might build Harry Potter or a shark or a, I don't know, a towel, whatever it is. With Lego Serious Play, we're building about how I'm thinking and feeling about something and then able to talk about it. What a great brand, Lego. Oh, awesome. oh, what a what a product extension. Who thought who would think of that as yeah, a yeah. something that you could take into a business? What was that company's um, like reaction or response after doing that workshop with them? Oh, it was what it did was it was a project which there was um, some misalignment, there was some misunderstanding about how things were going and some confusion, and it actually created greater clarity and also help them understand the roles to help move that project forward without the tension. Mm. There's some tension there. So we actually were able to work through all that quite easily. Yeah, that's good. What a great, do, I haven't, do many people do that? Have you had a lot of people doing that? In no, that, so in, in, in Australia, there's maybe, maybe, sorry, I don't know, maybe um, 50 odd people that are certified, not a lot. You should talk it up more. It's yeah. really a great point of difference. Uh, so timely too. Are you watching Lego Masters? I haven't started watching this season, but I did watch some of the last. Oh, okay. Yeah, All yeah. right. But thank you. <laughs> Do you think you could be on Lego Masters? Are you that good? Do you have a no, room? No, no, no. So it's funny. I'm a rule follower. I love building Lego to the plans. And it's oh, like okay. ongoing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas some of the people on that show and those type of um, levels of creativity, innovation, I'm inspired by. I love it. Yeah, it's actually quite great to watch. Um, my last question is, what would you tell your, you know, 25-year-old self, knowing what you know now, that 
could help have helped you then, you know, through your journey? Um, I would say listen to your body. I'm a big believer about listening to our body, whether it's the pterodactyls flying around in the stomach or if my legs are feeling crampy because I haven't had enough magnesium or water or I've got a bit of a headache or my gut instinct is telling me something. But listen to my body more. Um, I think that's um, something I've learned and continue learning. I think that would have helped me early in my life. The other thing is that, um, that it's going to all work out that you're going to end up somewhere that's um, a different place to where you are now and doing the things that you love doing. Um, because I, I don't think I had the confidence in myself that I have now back then. And I think knowing that would have given me some of that self-confidence that would have helped me through some of the harder and darker times as well. That's beautiful. Murray, thank you so much for your time today. I absolutely love chatting. Um, you are a great podcast host with some really good questions and it was fantastic. And I look forward to catching up in person when we can do that. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thanks heaps.